Hi, this is Jenny. We are pressing pause on our regularly scheduled programming. That's not because what's happening right now is new, and it's not because we want to participate in a moment. We want to participate in the movement. We want to use whatever platform we have to drive change. This company was founded with the mission of amplifying underrepresented voices. In my first interviews for WMN, I heard many women running for office talk about how the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, but only if we make it. We each have a responsibility to step up. NPR's Code Switch, an excellent podcast on race that I highly recommend, compiled a list of names of Black people killed by the police since Eric Garner's murder in 2014. This is by no means an exhaustive list. Still, I feel it's important to listen and speak these names. Eric Garner, John Crawford, Michael Brown, Izell Ford, Dante Parker, Michelle Cousseau, Laquan McDonald, Tani Shanderson, Akay Gurley, Tamir Rice, Rumaine Brisbane, Jeremy Reed, George Mann, Matthew Ajibade, Frank Smart, Natasha McKenna, Tony Robinson, Anthony Hill, Maya Hall, Philip White, Eric Harris, Walter Scott, William Chapman II, Alexia Christian, Brendan Glenn, Victor Manuela Rosa, Jonathan Sanders, Freddie Blue, Joseph Mann, Salvador Ellswood, Sandra Bland, Albert Joseph Davis, Darius Stewart, Billy Ray Davis, Samuel DeBose, Michael Savvy, Brian Keith Day, Christian Taylor, Troy Robinson, Ashams Pharaoh Manley, Felix Kumi, Keith Harrison McLeod, Junior Prosper, Lamontez Jones, Patterson Brown, Dominic Hutchinson, Anthony Ashford, Alonzo Smith, Tyree Crawford, India Kager, Levante Biggs, Michael Lee Marshall, Jamar Clark, Richard Perkins, Nathaniel Harris Pickett, Benny Lee Tignor, Miguel Espinal, Michael Noel, Kevin Matthews, Betty Jones, Quintonio Legrier, Keith Childress Jr., Janet Wilson, Randy Nelson, Anthony Scott, Wendell Celestine, David Joseph, Colin Rockmore, Kaylin Rockmore, Deshaun Perkins, Christopher Davis, Marco Loud, Peter Gaines, Tori Robinson, Darius Robinson, Kevin Hicks, Mary Truxillo, Demarcus Semmer, Willie Tillman, Terrell Thomas, Silville Smith, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Terence Crutcher, Paul O'Neill, Altaria Woods, Jordan Edwards, Aaron Bailey, Ronald Foster, Stephen Clark, Antoine Rose II, Botham Jean, Pamela Turner, Dominique Clayton, Atatiana Jefferson, Christopher Whitfield, Christopher McCorvey, Eric Reason, Michael Lorenzo Dean, Brianna Taylor, George Floyd.
This week, we're also honoring and amplifying the stories of African-American women who changed the course of history. We're also offering free ad space on Wonder Media Network shows to organizations working towards social justice. If you want more information on any of what I've said, please email me at jenny at wondermedianetwork.com. Now let's look to Mary McLeod Bethune, a pioneering education activist. Thank you so much for listening. Hello! From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, and this is Encyclopedia Womanica. Today's warrior was a pioneering American educator, an education activist, civil rights activist, stateswoman, philanthropist, writer, and humanitarian. Known as the First Lady of the Struggle, she spent her entire life battling to better the lives of African Americans. Let's talk about Mary McLeod Bethune. Mary was born on July 10, 1875, in Maysville, South Carolina. She was one of the youngest of Samuel and Patsy McLeod's 17 children. Mary's parents were former slaves who worked and saved to buy their own plot of land from Patsy's former owners after emancipation. They then began growing their own cotton. From age five, Mary worked in the fields at her family's farm. By age nine, it's said that Mary could pick an astonishing 250 pounds of cotton a day. Though Mary was born into a large family, she was the only child to attend school. She walked five miles to and from the local school, and when she returned home, she would teach the rest of her family what she'd learned that day. Mary found a lifelong mentor in her teacher, Emma Jane Wilson, who recognized Mary's talents and encouraged her to further her education. Wilson helped Mary get a scholarship to her alma mater, Scotia Cemetery, which Mary graduated from in 1894. The next year, Mary moved to Chicago to attend Dwight Moody's Institute for Home and Foreign Missions, now called the Moody Bible Institute. Her goal was to become a missionary in Africa, but Mary found that no church would sponsor her mission and was told that black missionaries to Africa weren't needed. If she couldn't do missionary work, Mary decided she would become a teacher instead. After graduation, Mary moved back down to South Carolina, where she began her teaching career. Not long after, she met fellow teacher Albertus Bethune, and the two were married. In 1899, Mary gave birth to a son. The Bethunes then decided to leave South Carolina for Palatka, Florida. At first, Mary's days consisted of selling insurance and putting in long volunteer hours at her local Presbyterian church. But when her marriage failed in 1904, Mary was determined to find a better way to support her young son and a more meaningful way to devote herself to her community. She decided to open up a boarding school for African-American girls. Mary's school maintained extremely high educational standards, of which Mary was quite proud, proving to prejudiced doubters that African Americans were just as intelligent and able to attain as high a level of education as their white counterparts. Mary's school eventually became a college, and Mary served as its president from 1923 to 1942. This made her one of only a few women in the world at the time to hold such a position. In 1929, Mary's college merged with the all-male Cookman Institute 
to form the co-ed Bethune-Cookman College. The new college began issuing degrees in 1943 and served as a pioneer in setting very high educational standards for other black colleges and educational institutions. The college is still thriving today as Bethune-Cookman University. This is Bronson Annex and Hall. I'm gonna be showing Annex side. So follow me in and I'll show you. Mary was a lifelong advocate for racial and gender equality. She was heavily involved in local and national political movements and organizations throughout her life. After starting a number of local women's clubs and heading voter registration drives after women received the vote in 1920, Mary was elected president of the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs in 1924. In 1935, she was named the first president of the National Council of Negro Women. Mary was also involved in the exodus of black voters from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party in the aftermath of the Great Depression. Mary was a personal friend of Eleanor Roosevelt's, and she was invited to take part in President Franklin Roosevelt's administration. This included a position as a leader of FDR's unofficial but very famous Black Cabinet. There she advised him on the concerns and issues prevalent within her community. In 1936, FDR chose Mary to serve as Director of Negro Affairs of the National Youth Administration, making her the highest-ranking Black woman in the American government at the time. She remained in that position until 1944. In 1937, Mary organized an important conference to specifically address and fight back against the discrimination and the continued lynchings that terrorized Black communities. Just three years later, she was elected vice president of the NAACP. She held that position for the rest of her life. In 1945, Mary was appointed by President Truman to take part in the founding conference of the United Nations. She was the only woman of color in attendance. When not running a college, doing important work for the government, or working for organizations to advance the rights and create the space for her community, Mary regularly wrote for two of the leading African-American newspapers of the day, the Chicago Defender and the Pittsburgh Courier. She also co-founded a life insurance company based in Tampa and co-owned a Florida beach resort. Suffice it to say, Mary probably didn't have much free time. Mary died in 1955. She was 80 years old. In his obituary, columnist Louis E. Martin wrote, she gave out faith and hope as if they were pills and she some sort of doctor. In 1974, Mary's life and achievements were honored with a memorial statue in Washington, DC, and in 1985 with a memorial stamp. Her last home is a National Historic Site. All month, We've been talking about feminists. We've covered feminists in every theme so far. What differentiates this month is that we're looking at women who are particularly important to the women's rights movement, the suffrage movement, and or modern feminism and feminist theory. For more on why we're doing what we're doing, check out our new Encyclopedia Womanica newsletter. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Encyclopedia Womanica. And you can follow me directly on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan.
Special thanks to Liz Kaplan, my favorite sister and co-creator. Talk to you tomorrow.